Romans chapter 1. I'm going to begin reading in verse 1, read down through and include verse 4. I don't know how far we'll go, but if we get beyond that, we'll, we'll pick some things up. Now, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God, which he had afore or promised before by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. I like that. Concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David, according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. Last week we finished up, we, we, were, we were talking about verse 2, and we were talking about where we found the gospel in the Old Testament, and we, we looked at a few a few examples of different passages of Scripture that pointed to Christ, even looked at, looked at uh, the five different sacrifices that were offered in the Old Testament that were given in the book of Leviticus, chapters 1 through 6. And uh, we ended up, not totally ended up through that verse. So I, I want to I read it again, and, and we'll go to the book of Luke chapter 24 and see something that I, I just love. He said which he had a f- promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scripture. Now, uh, if you remember, I said last week, the gospel uh, uh, isn't a new thing. Although we come into the New Testament, see the gospel is preached, we find that the gospel is the foundational message upon which Jesus built his church. It's the message that the Apostle Paul took everywhere that he went from the heathen city of, of Corinth to a place called Philadelphia. Everywhere he went, he preached the gospel. When Peter preached on Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, he preached the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. When he preached to Cornelius down in Caesarea Maritime, when the, uh, the Gentile, the door of the gospel, door of the Gentile was open, he preached, he preached the gospel, the death, burial, and the resurrection. And, and if you want to take a challenge to do a personal study through the book of Acts, see if you can find any message that's in the book of Acts that isn't centered around the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. I don't think you'll find it. So it's a great message. We still continue to preach it. It's mentioned 13 times in the book of Romans. It's introduced to us as the gospel of God. Uh, we found that out in verse 1. We'll uh, hear that it's going to be the gospel of Christ in verse 16, and maybe even Paul will call it my gospel. But it's not a new message, is what I was trying to communicate, and that's what God was trying to say in this parenthetical verse 2. What's, par- what's a parenthetical verse? What do parentheses mean? It can be left out and not change the meaning of what is being communicated on the subject that's being dealt with. And it's just beautiful. It's like, it's like the Holy Spirit says, wait just a minute, i got something real good I can't keep. Put that in there and then move on. So look what he said. He said, which he promised before, by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Look in Luke chapter 24. This, uh, this passage is, is dealing with the day, the first uh, day of Jesus' resurrection. It's on Sunday evening. It's on the Lord's day. Saturday is the Sabbath. There is no Christian Sabbath. Sunday is not a Sabbath. Y'all understand that, don't you? When I grew up, I heard that, you know, well, it's good to be on the Sabbath. Until I became a Bible student, I didn't know that that wasn't true. 
the word Sabbath means what? Anyone? Rest. It's a day of rest. That's what it is. And Sunday, man, ought to be a busy day for God's people. It certainly is for a preacher that's preaching, I'll tell you that. But when Jesus was was speaking with the uh, two men on the road to Damascus that, uh, that he joined with and had great conversation with, I love what Jesus did. And, and he does it many times in his teaching throughout the Gospels, the record of, of, the, of, of Christ that we have in the four accounts of the Gospel. Now, I don't want to pick it up in, um, in, in verse 20, 24, chapter 24, verse 24. And certain of them which were with us, now this is the men testifying that were on their way to Emmaus, and certain of them which were with us, meaning the part of the 120 that ended up in the upper room uh, on, on uh, the day of Pentecost, when they went to the sepulcher, they found it even so as the women had said, but him they saw not. That's referring to Peter and John that after the women came back and said something happened, he's not there, they ran and, and found the tomb empty, found the grave clothes and, his na- and the napkin that was on his face folded and laying in place by itself. And then listen to what Jesus did. He chides them a little bit, if you will. Then said he unto them, O fools and slow of heart, to believe, notice the next word, all that the prophets have spoken. Man, I like that. Jesus, listen, believed in the Old Testament. He believed in, at that time, what was available to them was the Septuagint. There was no original autographs in existence in the day of Jesus. And I, I just want to say that maybe to build on something, who knows, if we ever teach again on why I believe the King James Bible is the Bible. That's an important thing. We have no original autographs today. But there's evidence and reason to believe that the King James Bible is the Word of God for this generation. Amen. So look, he goes on. Ought not Christ to have suffered those things and to enter into His glory? And pay attention to this verse. I read those to get to this one. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, He expounded unto them all Scripture, uh, in, in all Scripture, the things concerning Himself. Have you ever wondered what you'd like to be if you could have been anywhere when the Word of God was being written? This is one place I would have liked to have been. I would have liked to have been in that... Now listen to what I'm going to tell you. Can you imagine the living Word expounding the written Word? Wow. Thank you. That's it. Wouldn't that have been phenomenal? And wouldn't it have been a thing of excitement, I think, for Jesus... To, to reach back to the Old Testament and say, you, well, we'll just pick it up real quick. Hey, y'all do remember the Passover lamb, don't you? And, and you do remember that serpent that was put on a pole. And you do remember Aaron's rod that were budded. Those are three things that we spoke about last week. We looked at those passages where they were found in the Old And couldn't you imagine the excitement of all of this in Jesus' heart? Now, he wasn't done yet. Look over in the other side of the page. It's directly opposite of mine. This is after Jesus met with the, uh, with the, with the ten apostles. At that time, Judas Iscariot had already uh, taken his own life. He had died. Thomas was not with them. And listen, listen to what Jesus did. Listen to how Jesus comments and even directs us 
into his word. Listen to what he says in uh, verse 44. After he'd eat a piece of broiled fish and a honeycomb, he said unto them in verse 44, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled. What was one of the last things the Word of God says about Jesus when he was on Calvary before he spoke and asked for a drink of, of something? When he said, I thirst. Anybody? What? That comes later, but you're on the right trail. Jesus knowing that all the Scripture was fulfilled. I mean, you were on the right, tra- you were on the right track. Before, before he said, I thirst... He knew that all that the Father had given to him to do, he had completed it. That had to be some degree of satisfaction. And it goes on to say, he said, all things must be fulfilled. And here Jesus is going to give a division. The writer of this book is going to divide up the book, which I'm talking about the Old Testament, written in the Law of Moses, the Prophets, and in the Psalms concerning me. And then opened he their understanding. Well, I want mine open, don't you? Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that, I mean, Jesus divided the Old Testament up. Now, there are a lot of people who have different divisions of the, of the Old Testament. They put them in, in major prophets, minor prophets. They put it in uh, history and poetry and, and the Torah, and, and the, uh, which is the, uh, the Pentateuch and all of that. But Jesus divided it up into those three groups And I like that. It's beautiful, beautiful what the Lord did. So back over in Romans uh, chapter 1. Yeah, exactly. Blowed them away. All of a sudden it made sense, didn't it, Greg? Well, since we're there, if somebody will read on, I'm going to quote the verse, but if somebody will read on and find the number that is connected with this verse, while they had sat down at supper, Jesus, when they got to where they were going, was as if he acted as if he was going to depart from them. They talked him into coming home with them, sitting down uh, to eat supper with him. And the Bible says, when he began to break bread and bless, bless it, I don't know, maybe they saw the pierced, in his hands, you know what I'm saying? Because when he first went to them, they didn't know who he was. He had, after his resurrection, the ability to kind of, um, uh, what, what's the right word? Uh, not let people know who he was, come to them and, you know, just where they couldn't see him. I don't know how to say that. Cloak himself. Thank you. That's good enough. And uh, I imagine, you know, when he took the bread, and can you imagine on his robe, his hands, and he began to break it and bless it, Man, they said, well, that's the Lord. He disappeared, and listen to what they said. Here's one of the verses that I want you all to get so you can give somebody else the number. Did not our hearts burn within us? Hey, I'm going to tell you something. If you don't burn in your spirit when you read the Word of God, there's something wrong. We ought to have holy heartburn every now and then. We don't need Maylocks to put it out. We just need to shout it out. Back over in Romans, anybody see that verse there in chapter 24? Thank you, Tim. Thank you. All right, and he said now, all of that is about his son. Can, can I tell you that's what this book is about? It's about Jesus. i never forget one time. Um, I was at a conference when I belonged to a ministerial association. It's good men, so the story I'm going to tell you, I'm, I'm not trying to throw anybody under the bus. 
But they had strange, some of them had some strange beliefs about the Word of God. For instance, they didn't believe all of it was inspired. I did. They didn't believe all of it. Uh, they, they, they didn't believe that, that, you know, anybody could get up and read it and, it, you know, it be anointed or whatever. If you got up 2.30 in the morning, it had, it had to be somebody from the pulpit called to preach and anointed before. They had some strange things. And I just believe, bless God, the Word of God's got power in it. It's got life in it. I mean, I mean, it's got an anointing on it, whether somebody preaching it's been anointed or not. It's God's Word. And uh, there was a little delegation come up to me while we were on lunch break. I was in the, I was in the sanctuary of that church by myself, and I knew when they all were coming, they weren't there to pat me on the back and hug my neck. And they said, we've got a question when I ask you. And I said, okay, ask on. I said, say on. They said, do you believe the Word of God is Jesus Christ? And I looked at them and I said, brothers, it'll do till he comes. And I just turned around and left. They never asked me another question about the Word of God from that day forward. I don't know whether it satisfied them or not, but it sure satisfied me. Now listen to what it goes on to say. This is about Jesus. And Paul said, he said, now he had written aforetime in the Holy Scriptures, and it was concerning, now watch this, his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. Wow. Let me ask you all something. Have you ever seen the virgin birth in this verse? I hadn't either, really, until I got to studying this. Now, it may not be as clear as what we find in, in other places, but... Uh, I believe it's here. I'm not going to spend a lot of time trying to prove that. But here's what I do want to emphasize. Look at how Paul introduces us to our Savior. He holds nothing back. He gives us the full name of Jesus. He talks about His Son. Notice that capital S. Did you all see that? That's significant. His Son, Jesus, which is His name. Christ is His title and our Lord, which gives us His status, or I could say His authority. It's amazing. It is amazing. Have you ever thought much about His name? Have you ever thought much about this? And can I back up? And Well, no, I'll move on. If the Lord gets to me before I go again, I, I will. I don't want to back up. It, it, isn't that amazing what God has done for us here? And look now, He's talking about His Son. He's talking about this man by the name of Jesus who was God's only begotten Son. Now listen, in this, He gives us His name, His title, His divinity, and His humanity. Did y'all know that? It's a It's a blessing. I'm going to give you to that, give that to you again. He gives us his name, his title, his divinity, and his humanity. It's pretty amazing how God does uh, what he does in the word of God. So let's start with, let's start with his name. Uh, and spend just a minute or two on all of these. Did, did you ever wonder why God settled on the name of Jesus? Now, it comes pretty apparent when we begin to thrash it out and study it out and see what the name means. But think about it. God, who knows all things, friend, I mean, His knowledge is limitless. He chose the name of Jesus. Now, let me ask y'all something. Is Jesus easier than Jehovah Jireh or uh, Adonai Elohim? 
you know what I'm saying, or El Shaddai. I know it's easier to spell. And all those words are beautiful. They're words that, that uh, uh, manifest and describe and reveal, actually is what it is, God. But of all the words that He could have given us, all the names, He said, I'm going to call my boy Jesus. I mean, the simplicity of that is sublime. Now, what's the word Jesus mean? The same word, the Old Testament, of Joshua, Yahashua. It is, that's what we're talking about, a form of Joshua, Yahashua, I think how it's pronounced, I think. But what's it mean? What? It means Savior, and what else? What did Joshua do? He led the children of Israel in what? Into the promised land, and he delivered, did he not? And that's what Jesus is. He is the Savior. He is the Deliverer. God wanted us to know what His Son was in His name. Now look, we've, we've talked about this before. I, I feel sorry for some children in the names that they're totally lacking of knowledge parents give them. I mean, I'm, I'm being real, real kind in how I say that. I mean, it's like they don't think, or if they're thinking, they're on drugs. I mean, to name children some of the foolish names. In the Bible, names meant something. And many times they were prophetic of this individual's person and what they were going to accomplish, either good or bad. It's pretty amazing. And God said, of all the things that I could call him, I want him to know that my son is a deliverer. And I, I, I know probably you don't, and, and that's okay. Does anybody remember the definition of... of um, of salvation that I gave you all. If I can get it right in my own mind, I, I, I love the definition. Salvation, say it again, do it, do it loud. Okay, I'll add one little note to that. It is the divine, full, and complete deliverance from sin from all aspects, past, present, and future. That's a pretty good definition. We're delivered from the past, which has to do with our old sins and the penalty of them. We're delivered constantly from the present power of sin. And I like this one. We're soon to be delivered from the presence of sin when we're changed and taken to a new land. So it is the full and complete divine deliverance from sin from all its aspects, past, present, and future. Thank you, Bev. That makes my night that you wrote that down. It's a beautiful definition. And look, that's what Jesus came to do. Can, can we look at a couple of verses of Scripture if I've got them? If I've, can somebody quote one of my favorite verses, Luke 19 and 10? For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. Sixteen single-syllable words. Uh, look, in, look in Mark chapter 10, verse 45. And by the way, this is the key verse of Mark. It appears kind of late in the book, but it is. Chapter, four, chapter 10, verse 45 of, of the gospel according to Mark. Listen to what Jesus said. He was talking to some really religious people, but... He laid them out right here. He said, For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, 
and to give his life a ransom for many. And I think that's amazing. He died potentially for everyone, but it will only affect the many that trust him and put their faith in him, repent of their sin. That's, that's just an amazing, amazing thing to me. So let's move on to his title. What, what does Christ mean? I'm sorry, I didn't hear. Yeah, it does mean Messiah, and somebody said the anointing. You know, I don't know why I didn't know this, or if I knew it, I have forgotten it. Jesus is Yeshua Hamashiach. The Hamashiach is the anointed, or the Messiah. And in the Hebrew, Mashiach means the anointed. So when, when he was given a title, notice it is Jesus, Christ, Jesus the Christ in many places. There were a lot of Jesuses, but listen, there's only one Christ. See, I, that, that's a shouting point right there. There's only one Christ. That word from the Old Testament was brought into the New and the Greek term is Christos, which means anointed. So I don't know much about translation and transliteration, but that may be sort of almost a transliteration. I don't know. But they mean the same thing. Christ in the Greek is Christos, and it means the anointed. What, what, what is the significance or the idea behind Jesus being anointed? For what? What, what does being anointed signify or or, or what is anointing? All right, it, it, it shows him to be something. Okay, I'll, I'll take that part of what you said. Y'all add two. Somebody add two. Didn't really have, not particularly, but it, it did show him to be something special. Maybe not his majesty, but special. Somebody else? He was blessed of God, chosen, and that's more kind of towards what, what it really is. Let, let's go to, let's go to um, Luke chapter 3, I believe it is. If it's not, it's right there in the vicinity. The Word of God teaches us that Jesus fulfills three different offices in His life and ministry. What he has done, is doing, and going to do. Does anybody recall what they are? Now, I know I'm asking you questions kind of off the cuff or cold, but I do know, too, there's a lot of Bible knowledge up here. He was the high priest. One of them is the office of priest. What? A, what? a king is one. What's the other one? Y'all got to get it. A prophet. He was prophet, priest. You did? I, Greg got it. I didn't hear you. Sorry, brother. Though that, that, are, that is the three offices that Jesus fulfilled in the New Testament. And in the Old Testament, there were many men that filled those, those offices. It's pretty amazing. Here in chapter 3 of the book of Luke, and, and if I'm wrong in this, somebody help me out and correct me. I'll have no problem with this uh, if, if I have missed it here. Um, in chapter 3, in verse 20 and 21, this is what the Word of God says. Now, 
Jesus at this time was about 30 years of age. We'll find that in the next verse, verse 23 actually. And he began his public ministry at the baptism of John. In that baptism, God did a lot of things. One of the things, he inaugurated his son into public ministry. He also identified his son and put an approval upon his son. And that's one of the things that somebody was saying. This is what it says in verse 21. And when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also being baptized and praying the heavens were open, the Holy Ghost descended in a bodily shape like a dove, and a voice came from heaven and said, Thou art my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Matthew chapter 4 gives a, or chapter 3 gives a, uh, a little different picture of it. And, you know, it expands on it just a little bit, but you'll find the same thing there. That dove, or the Spirit coming in the form of a dove and lighting on him is a picture of God anointing him. Can y'all see that? What did, what did prophets use? What did Moses use to anoint his brother Aaron? What did Samuel use to anoint uh, David and Saul? What did Elijah use to anoint Elisha? Oil. Horn of oil. And, and, and the oil is a picture of the Holy Spirit. And in the type of a dove, it coming down, it was a picture of Jesus being anointed in His three offices. Now watch this. This is amazing. He was baptized, and then this Bible says that He was driven, one of the writers says, into the wilderness. He was tempted for 40 days, 40 nights, came out victorious, and turned into chapter 4 of the book of Luke, and I like this. Watch, watch what he says. And watch the progression. Watch how God lays this out. In verse 16 in chapter 4, he came to Nazareth, which was his hometown, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the, synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Esaias, or Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place wherein it was written, and it's in chapter 61 of Isaiah's prophecy. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, the recovering of the sight to the blind, and to set at liberty them that are bruised, and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book. He stopped reading before Isaiah stopped writing. He put a period, or actually a colon there, to separate two, two events, two times that he would come. And I'm not going to tell you what Isaiah says. I'll let you go home and read it yourself if you want to. Isaiah 61. I've given you about everything except telling you but it's pretty amazing what Jesus did and how he stopped because he didn't come the first time to judge. He came the first time to save. And look at that. He, he said, God hath anointed 
me. And he did it. When he came up out, from a, out, out of the river, the heavens opened, and the Spirit of God descended on him. Then we have not only his son, Jesus, the Christ, but what's the last part of it? Jesus Christ the Lord. I like that. I like that. Our Lord, actually, is, is what it says. Now, let's back up and get a couple of things, and then we'll, then we'll move on. Like I told you, we have in his name Jesus, in Jesus, his name, in, uh, in Christ, his title, and in our Lord, his, uh, his authority. Let's, let's take it out a little bit further and listen to what he says. His son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. Now, I wish I knew more about that phrase, made of the seed of David. And I know the Bible tells us in other places that Jesus was born. But this is intriguing to me. It goes along with what he said in Galatians 4, 4. He said, when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman. Y'all do know that the birth of Jesus wasn't his beginning. He, he was in existence way before them, but it was the beginning of his humanity. So he had a body prepared for him. He was made, he was made of the seed of David, and it was according to the flesh. He was declared the Son of God with power. We'll find that out in a minute by the resurrection. But in some way known only to God, by God, God stepped in the natural progress or, or, or the, the natural process of, of generation. And He did it through the agency of the Holy Spirit. And by some divine means... He attached divinity to the wall of a woman, her womb, by the name of Mary. Isn't that amazing? And for the first time, we find the humanity of Jesus. Linda, what do you got? Yes, ma'am. She and Joseph both were of the lineage of the house of David. Mary's genealogy is what you find recorded in Luke chapter 3. Uh, Joseph's is what you find in Matthew chapter 1. So they were both of the lineage and of the house of David. And that's why they both went uh, to Bethlehem at the, uh, at the edict of, of the... Uh, of, uh, thank you, this, this, the census that was to be taken, the Roman census. Yeah, that is it. But he goes on in verse 4. He said, now he was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, but he was declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness, and he did it by the resurrection of the dead. Isn't that an amazing? Now, can I tell you when, you, when you read about Jesus, when he talks about resurrection from the dead, I came across this a long time ago in my studies. I've never forgotten it, you may have heard me mention it when I talk about his resurrection. When he was resurrected, it means that he 
came out from among the dead. Can you see the beauty behind that? Now, how many other resurrections, they were really revivings, and I'll tell you why in a moment, but how many other people have been brought back to life prior to the resurrection of our Lord? Seven. There were seven prior to it. There was four in the Old Testament, three in the New. Now, I believe Jonah was one of them. Some people don't, but I believe Jonah died. I believe that he was resurrected. Jesus used him as a picture of his resurrection himself. Of all the things he could have said, he chose Jonah. He said, there'll be nothing give you save Jonah the prophet. And I've got reasons I could go to chapter 2 and prove to you, at least to my satisfaction, why I believe that he died. I don't believe he just exists. I never Y'all remember, somebody mentioned the other night in a testimony, y'all remember uh, the card class when you went to Sunday school? I remember clearly, how many of you remember flannel graph? That was some of the best stuff those teachers could teach with that. that they still need to bring flannel graph back. But I remember getting a card and looking at it, and on our card, it had Jonah in a well, sitting at a desk in a chair with a candle on it. Now, you remember then? Yeah? Uh, that's what I said. Now, the intent is good to teach children. Right? It's an image that obviously you just don't forget. But that wasn't exactly the way it was. I mean, I mean, he was in trouble and, and he knew it. But anyway, it's not the time for that. I regressed too many times. There, there were three other resurrections or people that were revived in the Old Testament. Three in the New that Jesus brought back from the regions of, of, of beyond. But Jesus was the eighth. What's the number eight mean? New beginning. Eight is a new beginning. Eight goes with Sunday, the morrow after the Sabbath, or the first day of the week. Now, Jesus was resurrected, brought out from among the dead, and here's why He is known in the Word of God as the first fruits of the resurrection. There had been at least seven we can account, people that had died and been brought back to life. But here's the difference. Y'all know it, but I'm excited to tell you. He's the first one that came out from among the dead never to die again. Thank God, that makes all the difference in the world. And look, look at what the Word of God says. When you look at the word declared in the Greek, it really means horizoned out. Jesus was set out by God to be proved by the resurrection as He could prove Him no other way that He was truly the Son of God. Isn't that amazing? Now, did I mention last week the, uh, the rod of Aaron? All right, let me mention it to you briefly. If I, if I did, y'all remember what happened? It was at the time of the rebellion of Korah. Um, there were some people that were really upset at Moses and Aaron. They said, look, you take too much upon you. You know, we're used of God too. and You set yourself up in these positions and we don't like it. We're going to rebel. Listen, when you, listen, please listen to this. When you rebel against God's man, you're rebelling against the God of that man. 
So God judged them. If you remember what happened, the Lord did something amazing. The earth opened up, swallowed Korah, Byram, and, and the other ones down in, in the, they went alive down into the pit. Well, the people were happy, but they began to murmur at Moses again. And God said, listen, I'm going to put an end to this once and for all. Somebody find what chapter that's in in Numbers 16 or 17. I can't remember for sure. So if somebody look for that and find it and let the whole group know, it would be good. Jesus, God told him, said, look, here's what I want you to do. For all the tribes, I want you to get everybody to get a, get a rod from all the tribes. And I want you to take Moses or Aaron's rod, which was Moses' rod, bring them in before the tabernacle, and, and go to bed, leave them there all night. And on the morning, y'all get the picture? On the morning, the Sabbath passed. 17th chapter of Numbers, thank you, Miss Linda. We find Jesus coming out from among the dead. When, when Moses went into the tabernacle to look at those different staffs, uh, those pieces of wood that no doubt had carvings on them. I have been made to believe to some degree that they actually had the history of their tribes etched in them. Do you all know what? One of them looked different than the rest of them. One of them had bloomed and blossomed and bore almonds. And there's a great message in the fact of an almond tree. That, what, what's the first tree to bloom and, and bear? I just told you the almond. I mean, it's a... If you'd have guessed almond without knowing from what I've been told, I'm not a horticulturalist, I'm not much of anything, but, but anyway, it, I mean, it's amazing. And God said, now look, here's what I want you to do. Take that rod, and I want you to put it in the Ark of the Covenant, and I want to leave it there for a testimony. And from that time on, they never had a question on who was to lead the nation of Israel and who was to be the high priest. Because that was a pretty big deal. Pretty big deal going in before God on behalf of all the people. God did the same thing with His Son. Through the resurrection, He forever put down the question or doubts or fears, who is Jesus? You know who Jesus is? <laughs> He's God's Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. The only, the only. Now see, I don't have time to do that, but we need to remember that like Greg emphasized, He is the only begotten only begotten Son of God. I don't care how many other sons he has and daughters, there's only one, only begotten, and he's never going to lose that, uh, that signification. So, well, I hope you got something out of the lesson tonight. I'm telling you, there's so much, just so much in God's Word. and I'll be honest, I have trouble sometimes figuring out what to give you and what not. So, uh, Brother Jerry, Miss... Miss Bev, and we appreciate you, Bev, by the way.